everybody, this is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 28, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to Brian Ford. You may have heard of this guy, but not by his name. He goes by Bri the Biker on all of his socials, and is most well-known for his reviews on YouTube. Another place you may have seen him is when he was co-hosting the V-Twin Life with Denver Woods. In this episode, we're going to learn more about Bri the Biker, and just how he got to where he is today other than right here on the Wild Ass Podcast. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. You reached out to me and said, hey, I hear you're looking for guests. And I thought, yeah, why not? I appreciate it. You have great stuff going. I really appreciate the invite. Thank you. So tell us about yourself. So I have to, before we even go there, I'm going to admit now that I don't watch YouTube. So I haven't seen the review. (laughs) Did you say that's bad? (laughs) No, it's fine. <laughs> what I need to do is probably figure out how to just let it play while I'm driving. I spend a lot of time in the vehicle, so watching YouTube doesn't really happen. But I could listen, and I might get just as much out of it. But either way, I know that up until recently, you haven't been a listener of mine as well, which is fine. Because like I always say, there are more people that don't know about my podcast than there are people that do. So for my listeners... Why don't you introduce yourself? Give us a little introduction. Tell us about where you live, where you grew up, the whole deal. Sure. So I'm Brian Ford. All my socials is Craig Sega by Brian the Biker. I grew up in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania. I moved to Edgewater Park. And let's see. I have a YouTube channel that mainly focuses on product reviews. I touch on some mental health topics. I do a little bit of traveling, and then I do a live stream most Wednesdays concentrated on creators of the YouTube space as well as companies in the uh, motorcycle industry. That's a very brief little summary. Married, or is that, did I read yeah. that? No, I'm married. And you have kids. Tell us about that. I do. So I'm married to my wife, Katie, and then our oldest is Caleb, and our youngest is me. Are you a whole family of motorcyclists, or is it just you? It is me and the wife. The boys have been out on the bikes a little bit. Our oldest kind of took to it a little bit. My youngest went out for the first time last summer. And it's kind of funny. He's 17 and he went out and he was he was that kid that was like, well, you know, we'll go down the block and see how it is. And then he was like, I want to go further. I want to go further. I want to go further. And uh, his only complaint was he didn't have a comm, so he couldn't talk to me. So I figured that's a, that's a good start. That's a good start. Yeah. So 17, that was his first experience. Yeah, so 17 was his first experience. And I want to say Caleb was about the same age when he started riding with me. So it was really uh, it was really neat to give them that opportunity. You, now you're talking on the back of your bike. Correct, yeah. They, okay. they only ride as passengers on my bike. My wife, Katie, rode. She has a Palagio 250 scooter. She's ridden it for a little bit. She never did get her license. But uh, every so often she gets the bug to uh, get her own bike. But so far, yeah, it's just been me and she's been on the back and we've had some good adventures. So it's uh, it's good. Do the kids have interest in riding their own or no? No, they, um, I think it's much like this generation. It, it, they'd rather be inside playing Xbox. <laughs> you know, the, the motorcycle's scary. It's the sound. It's the sensation. But I was just really happy that they came along for the journey and tried it. I mean, I'm one of those believers the same way I was when I first met my wife. I don't want to put anybody on the back of my bike that's uncomfortable, that's scared, that doesn't want to be there. So to me, it's it's a slow process. You know, the more they ask, the more they get to go out. Fair enough. I'm a little bit different there as if somebody is scared of riding, I want them on the back of the bike because I feel like it's my duty to, if, if somebody's scared of riding, it's probably because they had a bad experience, right? I've had, mm-hmm. uh, I've had some girls that they got on the back. I had a girl that worked for me at the parts counter years ago and and she just there's no way in hell she was getting on the back of a bike i think her husband scared the shit out of her and she's like absolutely not so i talked to him like hey take her for a ride he's like absolutely and literally we took off and we went 20 miles an hour i'm like what do you think it's like this isn't so bad and i sped up to 30 like still good and i did that all the way up to you know 60 miles an hour and we got done and she's like that really wasn't so bad so if i can convert somebody to a motorcyclist i want them on the back of my bike so we're a yeah, little bit you know, different there. You, yeah, you hear that story all the time. You know, you, when I was single, you'd always hear the story of like, oh, I don't want to get on your bike because I was dating this dude and, you know, he was on a diner, you know, whatever bike. 
And we went out and he, he, he just stood on it. He was doing like 90 miles an hour down the road. And I was so scared. I'm like, but who does that? You know, one of my, I guess it was the third date with my wife. We went out riding and it was probably still to this day, one of the best dates we ever had. And it was her only her second time on a motorcycle or first time as an adult. And, um, she'll tell you, I mean, that's what cemented our relationship. It was that sense of adventure and that sense of, you know, wanting it to be a positive experience for her. And then, gosh, what are we, four or five bikes later, and we still ride. I mean, she's, she's my ride or die. She's my partner to, uh, you know, we've had some really great adventures on the bike. And now that your kids are aging up, you'll be able to do that a whole lot more, I suppose. Yeah, you know, and that's the that's the bittersweet of being a parent. You know, you, you kind of want your children to stay small forever, and they just don't. But the nice part is you get to see them grow, and, you know, you get to see them develop their own lives. And, you know, let's face it, you can kind of take your dad hat off and go back to the things you love, and that's important, too. Yep, absolutely. Where did you grow up? What's the name of the town? Well, I grew up in... I grew up in Benson, Pennsylvania. It's a it's the direct suburb of uh, Philadelphia. Okay, so suburbs, not necessarily out in the country. As, how did you grow up? Like, how did you how did you get introduced to motorcycles? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew this was coming. So, <laughs> so you're prepared. Then. I was. <laughs> I was the I was the 20 year old kid that walked into a motorcycle dealer, and I'm like, I'm buying a bike. I don't care what anybody says. I'm buying a bike. And I left. And then 40 years later, I came back and bought a bike. <laughs> it was just something that wasn't in the cars. You know, my, my parents hated motorcycles growing up. I, I couldn't have one there. In my first marriage, my wife just wasn't, you know, just wasn't something she was interested in. And I had just turned 40 and uh, I, I had a lot of things going on. And I was like, you know what? It's just time to buy the damn bike. I mean, you can make all the excuses in the world, but it's either now or it's never happening. And my first year riding, I went through three bikes. I just kept going up and I wanted, you know, I did my first big road trip and well, first big for the, for the riding level I was at. And then I was hooked. I mean, it was just like, take my money. I I just don't care. (laughs) I I was addicted. It it became my addiction and it's something I've enjoyed ever since. So when you went on that first date or second date with your wife and you were on the motorcycle, was that a borrowed bike? No, so that was my third bike time. That was a KOR 650. So it's not exactly, you know, the it's not the romantic ride you would take a woman out on, but it was funny. It, it was only like a 60, 60 or 70 mile ride, but she uh, she said to me, she's like, you know, just the way you were so attentive and the way that you were really concerned about how I was on the back of the bike sort of cemented to me the person you are. And it's something she always wanted to do. And I want to say two or three months later, I bought my first cruiser. And yeah, we've just both been hooked ever since. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, um, gosh, I'm trying to think. Since we've been together, we've been through four or five bikes. We just bought the new bike last spring. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really become a passion of ours. And it's really the thing that, you know, connects us. I mean, you have some couples that, you know, they want to spend their weekends or their nights going to the bar or, you know, just sitting and watching TV. And, and there's nothing wrong with either one of those. But for us, it was the spirit of adventure. My wife's a foodie. So it was always an excuse to get out on the bike and find new places to eat. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a partner that thinks it's completely logical to buy a bike that's more expensive than my car. <laughs> but it's been an adventure. It's It's been a great adventure. Yeah, I I love going out on the bike, and I don't know how. What's the weather in Jersey? It's not terrible, right? You don't have Minnesota cold, and and certainly not for as long, right? What's your riding season? It depends. The the problem that we have here, and I'm sure you experienced there, is they put a ton of salt and brine down. Like even we had flurries this morning. It was the first snow snow we've all we've seen all season, and they salted the big cheeses out of the roads already. And I'm like, we just got to calm down. <laughs> Spring's coming, like. Let's just not get out of control. Um, it's weird. There's been winters that we've never winterized the bike. You know, the bike was, I don't even know if it was on a tender at that point because we were out riding so much. This winter, it's it's been a little hit or miss. I think it's going down to the 20s over the weekend, and then it's coming back up to the 50s. This week. So yeah, it, it's can, not too bad. Yeah, you can ride in that. 
Yeah, I mean, you you put heated gear on it or layer up, it's not a problem at all. I'm lucky enough to, uh, I found a new job. It's like 10 or 15 miles from my house. So it's, it's going to give me a good excuse this year to ride every single day. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I bet. What do you do for work? So I'm an IT professional. It's a career that I've been in probably since I was 25, and I've kind of drifted out of that a little bit. I'm doing a I was doing video production for a while in my previous position that lasted a few years. And then I, I found that I just wanted to go back into IT. It's, it's something I really enjoyed. It's, like I said, it's been something I've been into for a long time and it's, it's kind of my happy place. Good for you. Video production. Is that what kind of got you in the YouTube field? Is that what yeah, you know, put Craig, you in there? That's a really good question. We, um, so I worked for a food broker and we were looking to do trainings and we were looking to do a way to go out to our clients and have a value-added service. And before that, I always joke, we had a, like a soccer mom camcorder and you know, we used to film a couple meetings and our CIO at the time came to me and was like, Brian, just want you to go out and buy full production gear. We need you to go to a client in you know, a month, whatever it was. And we need you to come fully up to speed and you know, shoot production level video. And I was like, oh, okay, hold my beer. <laughs> we may or may not have this. <laughs> and uh, that's really what started it because we didn't really have a lot of things to shoot. I mean, it sounds kind of dumb, but we really didn't have a lot of things to, to kind of practice with. So my idea was I went out and bought a GoPro Hero 7. I figured, you know, at that point, I had just bought my Ultra Limited which was our first touring bike, which was my first Harley. And like, you know, I've seen all these people on YouTube shoot these videos. That's what I should try because if, if I go out and I ride, that's going to be, you know, it's, it's two of my passions and it's going to make me want to edit those videos rather than shooting a video of, you know, somebody talking about soup for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's not the same. And I was kind of lucky enough to, to be able to learn the video production side of it and the audio and all that stuff you know, pretty much on the company's dime, which is a nice experience. And then as it grew, and I think once the uh, the lockdown hit, like many people, I was like, well, what the hell am I going to do with my time? Because <laughs> I'm just sort of stuck at home. So we found ourselves riding more. And like I said, that was the first Harley we owned at that point. It was a chance for us to do, you know, upgrades and kind of film with that. And I dabbled with it. And it, it just sort of steamrolled from there. And I thought Harleys were expensive. I think production gear is probably equal, but um, it's great. And like I said, it's something that I really enjoy and I have a supportive spouse. And, you know, coming in the YouTube community was a really good thing for me. I'm pretty introverted as a person, at least in person. And it really just gave me an opportunity to sort of put my work out there and, you know, kind of kind of learn and, and meet so many great people in the community. Is this... Is uh, Kate, is she involved in the YouTube stuff too? Does she help you with all that? She is a hell of a camera woman. Um, <laughs> I always joke with her. She runs She runs all the gear and she, she's been involved with it. She's not, you won't really see her. It's not in an install video. She's been on some of my live streams. She's been in some of my travel videos, but she's not, uh, she's not a big camera person, but She's been amazingly supportive in the dream of, you know, wanting to build a channel and the work that's involved in that, both, you know, in the editing side of it. And then I guess the the post-production, well, that would be the post-production, but the filming of it and the, you know, just, just the moral support. And, you know, she understands that, like, when we travel, we film, and I wouldn't say we film a lot because that's my time, but she's been very receptive of supporting the channel in any way she can. I know how much time it takes and, and I don't do a lot of editing on this podcast. I know how much time it takes pretty much, you know, I figure every 15 minutes I know is going to take me this long to edit, right? Mm -hmm. And my, my ratio is it takes to get 15 minutes of good, like by the time it's done, pick the little ums and stuff out of it. It takes an hour to edit 15 minutes mm -hmm. of audio. How much time does it take to edit and create a YouTube video? It depends. If you're doing an install, it can be really involved. One of the, the bigger installs I did when uh, when my chart and channel started developing was, uh, I want to say I had 12 hours into work uh, into that video between the filming of it, the editing. That was one of my big first sponsored videos, if you will, that the clients are 
the supplies, the, the lighting. And there was a lot of back and forth with them and talking to their tech support stuff. So it was, I think that was the biggest. The one thing I found that with the newer videos, and I, for the life of me, I don't know how I've found the skill to do it. I can generally knock them out in one take if it's a talking head video. And then it's sort of adding the B-roll and, you know, changing the lenses and changing up, you know, whether you want a slider or a gimbal and all that stuff or lighting. That's the part that takes the most. I feel like the the parts that I'm when talking on camera generally only take a couple takes. But the, the editing is a rabbit hole. I mean, if you're really trying to do something at a much higher standard, I think it can suck up a lot of your time. And that's, I'm trying to find a balance between what's informative and entertainment, but what's not going to cost, you know, cost me four days of my life to produce. And now you've referred to this a couple times and I just, forgive me for my ignorance, but what is a talking head video? So a talking head is like in the beginning of the video, like, hey guys, it's Bri, you know, blah, 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 support the channel. Today we're going to be doing an install or we're going to be talking about this seat or we're going to be talking about this pair of boots. And so it's really just the the beginning, the introduction. I mean, in a in an install video, I like to bookmark. I like to what I call bookend them. I like to have me on the beginning talking, and then at the end, kind of wrapping up my thoughts and all the other stuff. It's just sort of what they call B roll. It's not me talking. It's just me doing something and either doing a voiceover or well, I guess I am talking, or in some cases, talking why I'm doing it. When you do it inside and you do a product review of you know, whatever, and you're on a table, I find it's really easy to do because there's not a lot of moving parts. When you start doing an install video, especially for some of the complicated stuff, it's really hard to convey to the viewer what you're actually supposed to be doing. So there's a lot of finite detail of trying to set it up where, you know, if you're running the last video I did, it's not out yet, but I put a um, the new Custom Dynamics the X row glide headlight they have out. That's not there. It's actually the name of it, but it's the newer headlight, the newest headlight that mm-hmm. they put yeah, out. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. A lot of things, picture. you know, where you, you got to take the fairing off. You've got to route the cables underneath the fairing. You've got to route them underneath the tank. You can explain that, but for some people, they, they really need that visual, and that's kind of what I try and capture. And that's the stuff that really eats up a lot of your time because I, I always feel like, you know, you can put a set of lights on or you can do anything and 15, 20 minutes if, you know, if you're good at it. But if you video it, it's like five hours. It just feels like that. Sure. You have to love it. So when you're recording the installs where you're pulling tanks and you're pulling fairings and everything there, is your wife involved? Is that what she's recording? Or are you taking the piece apart, setting it on the counter, and then go back and video, okay, here's what I did, and then just like just talking through that, you know, your little video of your scan, and then going on to the product? Or how do you... Talk us through that. Let's just so, say, okay, I'm going to give you a set of, I don't, I don't say headlights. Well, let's just say headlights, custom dynamics headlights. You are going to install those. Talk us through that process of making a video. This is, this is interesting to me because I have no idea. I have an idea of how it works, but I'd like to know how it really works. Well, there's two schools of thought. There's a school of thought that, that I know other YouTubers do, that they do the work first and they take it apart and they redo the work. Obviously, that doesn't work with you know lights that require 3M tape or anything like that, but some people have that. I tend to do the talking head part. My wife films. You know, my wife makes sure the shot's set up. The um, the focus is actually following me. The audio levels are clean because you, you really can't do that in front of the camera. And then we sort of knock that out. And then I'm the one that shoots the rest of it. I'm the one that you know sets the camera up, lets it run. You know, do that part of the install. So, so if you look at like, I mean, we now have a 2020 rogue light. You know, so if you look at say a headlight install, which I've never done, you take the fairing off, you take the, uh, you have to put the headlight in, you have to run the cabling, you've got to put, I have the Progla system that changes colors. You've got to put the controller in there. And then once you get that set up, you've got to put everything back together. I like to shoot my content from the idea that you have no idea what you're doing. And I've been there. I think we've all been there. You get a Rogue Glide, you get an Ultra Limited, or the two Harleys that I've owned, and you you start taking it apart, and you're really not sure what to do. And so so what I do is I go to YouTube, and I'm like, all right, well, how do I take this variant apart? And then I tend to do everything as I do it. I've had a couple of videos where I've screwed up, and I left it in there. And I was like, all right, well, I screwed up. Let's try it again this way. 
I don't like to have it too polished. I feel like, you know, as a viewer, I want them to be like, you know, I'm just, I don't have a garage. I'm just a guy working on my bike in the driveway. And you is know, that the I, case? I don't, is that the case you're doing it in your driveway for real? Yeah, we have a, we have a, was an eight by 12 trailer that we store the bike in and then I roll the bike out, you know, and I work on it in my driveway. And I think at some level that, that builds a level of authenticity. You know, I'm not a guy in a garage that's got, you know, a giant set of tools, you know, I just got the basic set of tools, you know, and I'm not, I'm not rebuilding an engine, so I don't need crazy tools. But my idea with that is that if you see me do it, you can do it. it you know, I'm not a motorhead. I'm, I've never been, but it's, it's really just, you know, thinking out the problem, taking the bike apart and just trying to film every step because the idea is I want the video to sort of read like the install manual. I think it's really important to have a linear thought process and to have those steps laid out in your head. So when you're filming it, you're taking the user through the entire experience rather than just being like, hey, I'm going to install this headlight. And there it is. You know, I think that I think that that takes away from it and it doesn't give it's not an educational experience. It's simply a first look or an informative experience. Uh, for the users and, and that's not discounting people that do it it's just for my channel i really want to try and educate people and show them what i do and you know sometimes i'm not using the right tools or i'm not taking the right method or <laughs> an infamous video when i put the light bulb backwards i mean stuff <laughs> happens that's what happens in real life and and i left it in there it was the um the led light trim for my roguelite and i set it up and they turned them on and i'm like not only are they they're upside down i'm like huh all right, well, let's fix it. And I started laughing. I'm like, well, this is what happened. If you really think you can watch a YouTube video and it's that easy, I mean, it's not. People make mistakes. And I think that that's, I kind of leave that stuff in there because I think it's fun. You know, it's just, you're just an everyday dude. Yeah, for sure. I th you have like 3,500 subscribers. We looked yesterday. You were right around there. Mm -hmm. How many videos do you have yeah. out total? I guess because you do the lives also. How many other videos, product reviews or install videos do you have? You know, that, that's a really good question. I guess it's a YouTuber. I should know that. I honestly don't. I want to say, I think the channel, I mean, really, we could look real quick if we wanted to. I want to say that we have... You have 100? Shorts kind of throws off. 200? No, it's more than 100. Uh, it's, it's in the 200. The, yeah, I can't even get a number off the top of my head. It's substantial. I want, I want to say it's at least a couple hundred because I've been throwing out a lot of shorts because that's been the, uh, that's kind of the new trend. And it's kind of hard to gauge. Like I went to Ocean City Bike Week and, you know, I probably dumped 10 shorts. And to me, that's content, but it's not content in a, a way that people are going to necessarily search as searchable content. It's just sort of the, uh, what I like to refer to as death scrolling. You're on Instagram and you're just scrolling or you're on YouTube. So yeah. You know, I don't know. It, that's a really good question, and I was not prepared to answer that. <laughs> uh, oh, I got more of those. <laughs> I'll bring them. I, I got, I got, I'm not afraid of anything. Um, that's one thing I don't know. You talked about the shorts. Are you, are you monetized? I am. So I've been, uh, I got monetized when I had a thousand subscribers, which is the combination of that is you have to have a thousand subscribers and it's an X amount of content, a thousand right? Subscribers and 4,000 watch hours within a 365 day period. So it's a, it's a rolling period. So I just looked, I have 274 videos. Okay. See, now, you know, pushing. Yeah. Yeah. And now, now you don't know if that includes shorts though. That does include shorts? It does include shorts. So that's all my content total. So that's my shorts. That's my live streams. That's my, you know, con my, any of my other travel, whatever, install content. Okay. So shorts for the, the listeners, if you don't know what that is, that's like the TikTok of YouTube, basically, right? Or the, and, the Facebook or the Instagram reels. It's just the one minute up to a minute, or are they even longer now? Probably, but just the little blip videos that you see all the time. Right. That's yeah. what, that's all they are. Yeah. And I, I always say it, it's the younger kids version of YouTube because my son, both my sons are classic example of that. They, they want to get that one minute fix of something and then they move on. They're not, <laughs> it's today's they're not fine. so much. It's exactly that. And you know, it's kind of weird because I don't, I don't necessarily understand it because I put video, I put a short up. It's a buddy doing a ride by on my road glide and I don't know. It's probably 30 seconds and it got 15,000 views. And for life of me, I can't figure out why. It's yeah, just, it's crazy. It's so random sometimes. 
YouTube's always intrigued me. Like I said, I mean, I spend a lot of time in the van, so I don't do YouTube. I have a pair of Yamaha MX-80s in my garage here, and Renee and I were going to redo those on YouTube. But you start looking at it, and it's like, how do you video it? How do you edit it? I mean, literally, I have an iPhone and iMovie. That's it. I don't have that kind of time. And I would love to redo these because it would be exactly like what you're portraying in yours, except it'd be more of a guy doing stuff that he has no clue what to do and how to do it. That would be me rebuilding a couple motorcycles. Yeah, you know, and, and there's there's plenty of people that that's all they have is an iPhone. I know plenty of people that only edit on an iPad. And I'm a firm believer of the best camera to have is the camera you understand. So if yeah, you, that makes sense. I mean, I have a Canon R6, and, and you know, for those of you who don't know, it's it, it's in the prosumer line. It's not a professional. It, it's an entry level professional camera, and sort of way beyond a consumer camera. And it's a great camera, but when I first got it, I was thinking, like, what the actual hell did I just do? <laughs> because it made everything so complicated. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that content is king and, and the quality of your videos is important. But I think sometimes just the, the content of what you're doing is more important, and especially if the way it's something that people can relate to. And I've seen so many people start YouTube and, you know, they're $6,000 in debt and, you know, they give it up in six months. I would say just step it up easy, you know, and go and, you know, find somebody that can, you know, mentor you through that process. I mean, you want to learn how to do video, I'd, I'd gladly teach you. It's, it's not rocket science if you come up with a good method, but but it certainly is involved. And it's just one of those things, like I said, you can you can go down the rabbit hole fast. I would encourage anybody that wants to start it. Like, if you're going to do that install, you can do it with your iPhone. Most people, the camera's not going to be what holds them back. It's going to be the creative process and understanding how to put something together that people are going to want to watch. That makes sense. We have a, a YouTube channel for Wild Ass, but all we really put on it are testimonials. We have, trying to just trying to think of what we even have. It's mostly testimonials and just people at events that come up. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but we have a bunch of those. Uh It's like, we don't even have, we have 157 subscribers. We totally suck at YouTube and put that amount of effort into it. You know, none really, other than it's a good place to put all those testimonials. Would you? Well, yeah. And if you, if you look at something like Instagram Reels, you could do an Instagram Reel, you could make a TikTok video and you could make a YouTube video, all the same piece of content. And if you think about what you could do in that testimonial in a minute, that's a good marketable. I mean, that's a good marketing tool, right? It's, it's going to cost you nothing. And while well, your time, obviously, it's important, but it's going to, it's going to take, you know, somebody's going to do a testimonial. You make them keep it to a minute and it's free advertising. And I think that that's the, the amazing part of social media is that people, companies are starting to realize that value and that that return is a lot higher than what it takes to, put it out there because if you put out YouTube content, it lives forever. And I think that that's something maybe you want to look into because I, I think those shorts are great. You know, you're, you're scrolling through YouTube and I mean, everybody that I've seen, if you look at the analytics, most of the people that follow my channel are watching it on a phone, which means they're either laying in bed or in the bathroom or God knows what they're doing, but they're able to absorb that content, especially in that really short form content. So I, from a marketing standpoint, I think it's it's a really good idea. Because I'm sure when you go to Sturgis, I mean, you could knock out, what, 100, 200, 300 testimonial videos? I have no we problem. Get, we get plenty. We get, we get as many as we can get people to talk. So the thing about the videos, if you've ever seen one, if you've seen them on Facebook, if you've seen them on Instagram, or if you've seen them on YouTube, I initiated zero of them. These are strictly yeah. people that come up to the booth to share a story or tell us how much they like the cushion. And then I'll say, Hey, would you say that on camera? And they'll be like, yeah, I'll say it. And then I'll just whip out my phone before they can even change their mind. While I'm opening up the camera, I'll say, you know, what's your name? You'd say, Brian, I'd say, where are you from? You'd say Edgewater, New Jersey. And I'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, okay, everybody, here's Brian from New Jersey. And, and that's the video. We go right into it before they can even get nervous about it. And yeah. it's great, but we don't, go, hey, you have one of these. You want to shoot a testimonial video for me? I've done that a total of zero times. So it's pretty cool that we have as many as we do. I think we probably have 90 or 100. Actually, you know what? 
looking here. I think I figured it out. It's like 95 testimonials on YouTube, and we're way behind on getting them up. So it's pretty cool. If, if someone could take and make TikToks and reels out of those things, that'd be awesome. And almost all of them are under a minute. Yeah, and I mean, it really just takes somebody to understand social media. And not even at, at a deeper level. I mean, if you tag it properly, if you put out, let's just say you had a theoretical, you had 30 testimonials, you could set them up to drop every day at a certain time with YouTube. And I mean, you can do it with other platforms, but I think you need to have a, a secondary piece of software. But you could just crank, you know, you could spend, you know, two hours prepping those and then you'd have 30 days of content. You know, sooner or later, somebody's going to see it. And I think that the fact that you're doing organic content is a lot better, right? Because you can be Craig from Wild Ass and you can you can tell me everything about your, your product, but it's kind of cool when it's just some random person that just happens to be at the event and believes in your product. Because I think for a, from a viewership standpoint... That's a more organic testimonial. It's a more organic video that you're more prone to watch than some super slick video that's been produced. Sure. So getting back to your channel, what is the focus of your channel? Or are you now so, doing three different things? Installs, interviews, like do you have a focus? So there's four primary focuses to my channel. The, the installs, which we started when we got our Ultra Limited, there's the Beyond the Writer uh, podcast and video series that is live on YouTube. That started as pre-recorded. It's now become a live because live has become more popular. There's the travel videos, which I don't do a lot of. And quite frankly, I'm under, I'm under the belief or I believe in the fact that if I'm writing, that's, that's my time. That's, you know, that's kind of my sacred time. That's the time I hold, you know, near and dear to my heart. I tend not to film that because I don't feel like anybody needs to be part of that experience but i do occasionally do that and then i put out i haven't done it consistently but all my videos end with the um tagline is you're you are not alone and i i I have a son that's autistic and i've struggled with my own mental health and those are that's sort of the underlying part of my channel and i like to i really like to talk to people in the community that aren't necessarily well known but have an amazing story because to me that's more interesting than getting somebody on the net that everybody already knows. And then we occasionally dabble into um, having some brands in the motorcycle community that a product that I have that, that I believe in. Okay. Speaking of the mental health, go into that. How do you, are you supporting something? Are you fundraising for somebody? Are you, what are you doing with that? Just making more people me, aware of it? Is it your yeah, own therapy? Me, yeah, you know, some of it's just a little bit of helmet therapy and talking about my experiences. One of the videos I did, my mom called me, it's a true story, and she's like, I had no idea in hell you've been through these experiences. Well, it's not something I talk about. But That you what? She had no idea what? It's not something that I talk about. She had no idea what I'd been through, like the experiences that I've dealt with okay. as far as my mental health. Um, because it, it is, it, it's 2023 and it's still a very taboo subject. And it's something that, that in my experience that I feel like that if I can educate someone or to show someone they're not alone, I think that there's a lot more value to that experience. And I always tell people, you know, the stuff that I've been through and the stuff that I've dealt with, I don't care. You put up on YouTube, you troll me every day. It just doesn't matter to me. It's more important to spread that message. And if, if one person reaches out, and I've had some really good examples of that, people that have reached out and said, hey, you know, I've been dealing with this or I've been dealing with my child that has this. And, and I had no idea that someone else had these issues. And that started a really good conversation with people. And it's just something I embrace. I, I don't like to become too preachy on it because it's, and we've talked about this earlier on phone it's not a sexy subject it's just not but i think there's a value in sort of mixing that into the channel without it becoming the main focus of the channel because for me and and you hear this with a lot of people motorcycles is therapy and i think that using the motorcycle concept as therapy it's very easy to introduce those those topics i would agree and and motorcycles so kind of my take on this mental health and how you talk to people about mental health and doing it through motorcycles. That's just your language and how you're talking to people, right? So people that 
are uncomfortable talking mental health and you, they're really talking the same language oftentimes, right? So you're probably opening up doors and helping people that would never even think twice about going and finding somebody to talk to or somebody to visit with. Would that be safe to say? Yeah, it is. And that's, that's a really good response to that. It, it, I think it's like anything, and that's sort of where the Beyond the Rider concept started. You know, we can meet at a bike night. You look at my bike, I look at your bike, we can talk about the accessories we've had. After 10 minutes, at least for me, I'm done. <laughs> I, don't, I, I just, I, I'm not a gearhead. You know, I can tell you all the things that are on my bike and, and why I have them, but I'm not one of those people that you're going to have a two hour conversation with, about with cams or, you know, bars or anything else. But I feel that it's a really good opening to learn somebody's story. And, you know, I came from a journalism background and I fully believe that everybody has a story. And it's really interesting to dive into that because the, the motorcycle is what we what unites us. It, it doesn't make us, you know, I mean, you can argue it makes us who we are at some level, but the motorcycle is what you need, uh, what, what we have in common. But the, the stories of, you know, mental health or, you know, going through the process of, of learning about your child having autism and those things, I think there's a lot more value to that. But you have to use the motorcycle to bring people to the table. And, you know, it's, it's something that, that I'm very passionate about. And as I continue through YouTube, I just don't care. I mean, and when I first started YouTube and people would troll me and be like, oh, my God, this guy said I'm fat and stupid. And uh, now I'm like, is that all you got? Because <laughs> this message needs to be heard. And, you know, and I've made some amazing connections from people. And <laughs> it's really hard to put into words without being emotional. But <clears throat> if I could share one story, Please. I put out a video of learning about how my child, I'm a biological child, so he, I kind of had to learn on the fly with it. Um, we found out at age 17, he had autism. And I put a video together and just sort of chronologized uh, in just sort of talked about my experience. I talked about what it was like trying to get help and what it was, um, as my wife would say, <laughs> the old picture of the, uh, of the stork being eaten by the frog. You know, you're just choking, the frog yep. choking the stork. I, I know, that's never sort give of our up. metaphor. Yep, never give yeah. up. Yep. You know, and as I've worked on my mental health and stuff, I, I felt that it was really important. And uh, another YouTuber by the name of Big Smitty, never met before, he sent me a message. He's like, holy shit, dude. He's like, I watched that video. And you have to know Smitty to appreciate this. He's like, I was crying. And, and I couldn't wrap my head around it. Here's another parent in the, in the same general age bracket that I am, the, the meaning as, as dads we are. And his son is four and my son is 17. And it gave him hope. It gave him a vision of what it could be if you put the work into it and you, you find the proper resources. And this is a guy that I talk to every day, you know, and when I was going through my struggles, he's the, his person holds me together. And um, that's a video that maybe got a hundred views, but the instant messages that I got from Instagram and those things were, a lot of people that had um, that were parents with children with autism and were like, holy shit, like I, I thought I was alone. And here are you, you know, talking about it with no shame. And I mean, that to me is the value of my channel. The rest of it, the rest of it's cool. But being able to make those connections to me is, is really valuable. And I think that, you know, there's so many subjects. I mean, <laughs> The number one killer of men in this country and the world is pride. And we as men can't articulate what we're going through. And I think that if you can, if you can relate to someone and if maybe somebody clicks on my channel because I have a really cool road glide and then they start to hear that message, it may open up a conversation. It may not open the conversation with me, but maybe it opens up with their kids, with their doctor, their spouse. And to me, that's the value. That's the biggest value that I get from my channel. I love it. It, it just amazes me. I had struggled with a, a really bad period with my mental health. I was out of work. And this was recently. This goes back to Thanksgiving, and I was out for three months out of work before that. I can't tell you how many people in the bike community reached out to me 
daily to make sure that, you know, I was okay. And these are people I've never met, you know. I've never met Smitty. I've never met Denver. I've never met Chris Venus. I've never met Bodine 52. But these are people that have reached out to me, you know, just to make sure I'm in the right headspace. And that to me, that to me is invaluable, especially being an introvert. You sort of realize that that message has landed home. And I think that that, I mean, for me, that's the most important thing to do. Funny how guys won't talk, but they see what's going on, right? Yeah, you know, like, like you said, we don't know that. how to orate or how to say what we want and get it, but we can see through the screen that something's going on and we're going to reach out to you. Isn't that yeah, odd? Yeah, and, and not what's, I'm sorry? Isn't that odd? You know, why are, odd, why are guys still perceived as not being able to talk and not being able to have feelings? Do you know well, what I mean? I mean, if you're a Gen Xer, right, you're only one generation from your fathers that you know, basically told you to put dirt on it and get over it. <laughs> Rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. And that's a generation that would say, oh, you know, if, I always say there's two types of people in this world. There's the person that when you tell them you're going through X, you know, whatever it is, and they're like, oh, if you need anything, call me. And, and maybe that's the only level of help they can offer. And then there's the other type of people that are like, you're going through something, where do I need to be? You know, what can I give you? And even if I can't give you anything monetarily, I can give you my time. I'm going to pick the phone up at three in the morning if you need me. And I think that that's something that as men, we've gotten better with. But I think that it's really hard because we grew up in a generation where our parents just, I mean, mental health is a taboo. And I think the more that you put that out there and the more you talk about it, it gives people an opportunity to to want to reach out and connect. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I may be a face on the channel, but, you know, you, you're IMing me on Instagram or whatever. I'm not I'm not threatening. I'm not somebody that's only going to your doctor and telling you you have problems. And I think in this community and in this world, that's really the value we have to everyone. There, there's a famous, um, not famous, but you see it all the time on Instagram or YouTube. And I wish I could give whoever created it, but it, it I'm going to paraphrase, but it's like, you know, do you ever ask a guy how he's doing and he tells you he's all right? He's not all right. But as men, that's, you know, that's our coping mechanism, right? You don't want, you don't want to show you're weak. And, you know, sorry, I'm on a soapbox, but I think there's a lot of value into just kind of beating that topic to death. Uh, Million Dollar Bogan did it. And I, I gave him all the credit in the world because it's a very vulnerable place to put yourself out into social media. But, the rewards outweigh the risk. That's a strong message to send, and kudos to you for doing it. Thank you. You know, and I mean, there's there's some really good books out there, and there there's some really good things, and just you know, just little messages that you know you can remind yourself of every day. There's a great great film documentary on uh, Netflix. It's called Stutz. Stutz. That's and it, it, it's one of those. Jonah Hill's in it, and it's actually Jonah Hill's lifetime therapist, and his therapist is talking about, you know, the concept of healing and, and, and what you need to do, and I since bought one of his, I bought two of his books, and again, it, it's not something I probably would have stumbled onto if it weren't for, like, somebody like Jonah Hill, you're like, oh, I wonder what Jonah Hill's talking about. So it, it's it's a powerful platform, it's just you have to decide what you want to do with it, and if, if that's not your thing, that's totally fine, but I think that as creators, you have an opportunity to spread a message. And even if it's, you know, nobody reaches out to you, somebody's going to hear that message. And I think that that's something to remember. I wrote that down. I'm going to watch that. I'm going to find it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and he, he, he has a, I, I know you're going to hit me with one of the five questions, Dan, but he has a book called the tool and it, it's five tools. And it's, it's a very good, it's a very good learning process to, sort of dissect your feelings and, and dissect what you would think is an ominous task. And it breaks it down and gives you, you know, some inter some insight into how you can deal with it. it it's the um, it's pretty much the analogy of how do you know if I need it one bite at a time. And uh, I found it very, very valuable. And I just, you know, it's something that it's kudos to them. I think it's amazing that they put that work out there, especially when it's Jonah Hill's therapist talking to him about his experience and putting out that vulnerability, I respect that a lot. Yeah, that's cool. Especially by somebody so famous. Yeah, you know, and you look at somebody that's that famous and has everything in the world and, and he 
basically says, you know, it doesn't mean shit to me because I don't have what I need. And I was like, well, that's pretty powerful. For sure. I had a couple of questions I was going to ask you about. One of which, for a while, we're, we're getting back away from the mental health, not trying to sure. squash it down. but No, and I um, went down a rabbit hole. I apologize. That's okay. Well, we'll dig you, dig you out of it. For a while, and it hasn't been for quite a while now, you've been off of it, but were you co-hosting the V-Twin Life, or what was the deal there with Denver? Yeah, so I had a I had a running stint with um, with Hollywood from Insane Bikers on uh, with uh, I sat in with Hollywood for a while doing that. It was their I forgot what the show was even called at this point, but that was um, that was his Sunday show, and then I've known Denver for what seems like a lifetime. He's He's my brother of another mother. He's just, he's a great dude. And I know he's a mutual friend of ours. And we just started talking and he was like, you know, I was on one of his episodes. He's like, you know, you should just come in and sit in with me. And, you know, we can kind of, you know, kind of co-host together. And then he co-hosted with me on the Wednesday show. And unfortunately, our, our schedules didn't always align. So we sort of drifted apart from that. It was a really valuable experience for me because it was really nice to to have somebody that you could talk to that has a completely different mindset on their channel and their mindset of, you know, he's really into long distance riding and all that stuff. And I, I'm not, I'm more into the production and the, the product review. So it, it, it really gave us a nice combination. And I mean, we had some really, really good interviews. He's, he's an amazing guy. He does amazing interviews. You hadn't been on there for quite a while. And I'm like, I wonder what happened there. Not like was there this big breakup or anything? I just was curious, but the no, scheduling thing know, makes sense because you're you're out in New Jersey and he's in freaking Seattle. Yeah, you know, and, and Seattle's a tough place to be because he's probably hanging out at Starbucks. He probably is. I'm a little surprised and that this, he doesn't ride a BMW and just go back and forth to Starbucks for coffee. Yeah, but would you ride a cafe bike though? I mean, I don't know. I think that's, that's what they question. do, isn't it, in Seattle? Yeah, yeah, or a scooter. It, it's weird. Probably, you think he probably a has coffee a scooter. Chair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that road bike could be, you know, it could be for show. It's just a cover. Yep. Yeah, that's what people say to me. They're like, you know, we don't see you ride that much. Well, what makes you think I do? Maybe right. I just do installs on my neighbor's bike. Who knows? <laughs> that's right. You mentioned that you knew the five questions were coming. So evidently you do listen or have been listening to the show. So what, uh, always before the five questions, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't? Anything you wanted to bring up, or did I miss something that we talked about in conversation before we went on the on the recorder? No, you know, like I said, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And, you know, if people like my content and it's something they're interested in watching, if it's uh, if it's not, you know, no harm to foul. I'm not for anyone uh, for everyone, and you know, my my channel is my channel. And no, I think we covered a lot. And I didn't mean to go on the tangent about mental health, but that's. Yeah, something that's always in the forefront for me. Yeah, that's that's actually a topic I could probably discuss for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot better than starting the argument yeah. of, you know, what was better, my ultra or my road glide, yeah. because, you know, that'll just end in hate. Right. I uh, Personally, I do a lot on self-development and self-improvement, and that kind of all ties together in itself. Speaking of that, products, yeah. do you have a favorite product that you have reviewed? Man, this would have been a nice pivot too. Yeah, like what? Like what? And when I ask you that question, what was the first thing that came to mind? That's really tough because there's, you know, the the whole concept of the ultra was one bike. You know, we put some, you know, we put some effort in that. But the the new Roguelide, well, the 2020 Roguelide that we recently just got, that's really been the bike where I where I really focused on putting high end quality products on it. Man, I don't know. I would say if you if I'm kind of side skirting this, but I, I don't know, I don't know, because, and I don't I don't mean to, to, to side skirt it because I I feel like every product has its placement on my bike and its mm-hmm. value to it, you know. And, and we talked about this, and not to not to sound like an infomercial, but the, your wild ass cushion has really changed the experience for my wife riding, and that was a purchase that was in the grand scheme of you know, money that we dumped into this bike was a small purchase but it made a big difference. But you didn't you didn't do a review on that, did you? I did not. That that is that is coming at some point. It's, uh, I seem to have a lot of stuff floating around that either isn't on my bike yet, right? 
And then today, like more stuff showed up and I'm like, God, at some point I got to stop. But, you know, it's nice that companies believe in you and, you know, you have that, that supply to produce content. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know that, yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know the answer to that question. Okay. Fair enough. I think that's it then. We've covered everything. That was the last little little thing I had. I was going to ask you just what your favorite product was and see if you picked one. Yeah. So that brings us to the five questions. Are you ready for these? These are the ones that oh, hit me. may a, or may not stump you. Of, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Inside the Actor's Studio, so I really <laughs> like the deep questions they have. Go hard. Don't Good. pull back. All right. So the way I do it is I put 20 numbers, one through 20, in a wheel, in the randomizer wheel on Google, and hit the button, spin the wheel, and what number it lands on, that's the question you get because I have 20 questions. I have 21, but I didn't get the 21st question in there, and I can't remember what it is. I have it written down in the pile of my desk, and when I find it, it's going to go on the on the wheel. So <laughs> currently you had five shots of 20 at 20, and you got these five questions. So number one, question number one, what is something you believe that other people think is insane? I don't know that it's something that people think that are insane, but communication is 90% listening and 10% talking. And I don't think people realize the value of that. And that's something I, I believe in truly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will tell you that's crazy because a lot of people in this world just want just want to wait and speak when they have the opportunity rather than actually listening. Sure. Most of the times you can tell they listen to reply. Yeah, you know, and especially yeah, or, in this day and age, right? Yeah, they don't go listen to listen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you ask somebody how you're doing, listen. You know, that, that's where the value in that question is, not just making it a question. For sure. All right. Question number two. What is the worst advice that you see or hear being dispensed in the motorcycling community? Oh, my God. Where to start? Only one can be the worst. The worst piece of advice. People that tell you that you need to buy the bike they have is probably <laughs> the worst piece of advice you could ever get because that bike may work for them. And I've, I've had some bikes that people would probably not want to own. And then I've had, you know, bikes that people would want to own. Make your own decision. The, the motorcycle community is terrible with that. Everyone wants to say what cam to have, what bikes to have. It, just don't listen to anybody. That, that would be my advice. And, and the worst advice that I've ever gotten is listening to others. I've actually gotten that answer before. Isn't yeah, that crazy? You know, yeah. because <laughs> that's true. It it really is, right? It, it's like you you um I think it was Gary V that said, you know, you 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 listen to just everyone's opinion and go tell them to F off because it only works for them. Probably was Gary V, actually. Okay. I love Gary V. Yeah, so. the guy's awesome. So now this you gotta listen to this question. You're I'm gonna guess mid forties. I'm 51, yeah. 51, okay. We'll call it mid-40s. Yeah, mid-40s with six years experience. (laughs) So, okay, we're going to go with half of that. So what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? And please place where you were at the time and what you were doing. So at 25, what were you doing? Where were you in life? And what advice would you give yourself now? So that's right about the time that I started my IT career. And if I were to give that 25-year-old Brian advice, I would say, screw it all. Titles don't matter. Money doesn't matter. It's all about happiness. You know, it's, it's not, I'm not going to be worried about the size of my bank account or my titles when I'm on my deathbed. I'm going to be worried about the experiences of my life. And obviously, you need a career and you need drive, but worry about the things that are more important, which are your family and your your own life experience. Don't worry about, you know, being a C-level exec or don't worry about, you know, making seven figures. Worry about what's going to make you happy and don't worry about what society tells you makes you happy. Cool. Question number four. What topic would you speak about if you were asked to give a TED Talk on something outside of your main area of expertise? I think the correlation between motorcycles and mental health, because like I said, it's a great way to lure people in and then pivot into a message. And there's a lot of metaphors that apply to that. 
So, yeah, you know, I'd love to do a TED Talk. That'd be fun. <laughs> I, it's kind of uh, it's kind of fun to fantasize about giving a TED Talk, isn't it? Yeah, you know, because it, it would be great to just sit up there and have a have a bunch of people kind of <laughs> kind of forced to listen to you. It's <laughs> all YouTube; they can't click it off. And I've seen I've seen some mind blowing TED Talks. Yeah, there's some really and, good stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and sometimes I think the best of those is you're listening to something that you probably or may or may not have no interest in, but all those people sort of find a way to bring it around to that common ground. Yep, very cool. The last, the or final. I could do a TED talk on. Uh, I could do a TED talk on Rogue Glide versus uh, Ultra Limited, and people would storm the stage. That'd be fun too. <laughs> They're both Harleys. Hug it out, brother. Why Harleys suck? Welcome to my TED Talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Question number five, the last one. As a motorcyclist, personally yourself, what is the best advice you have gotten? I always refer to this because I find that it has that, that beautiful tie-in of, of the mental health. But one of the things that I learned in the motorcycle safety class is you look down, you go down. You look forward, you go forward. I think that that's a great metaphor for life and it's the way you should ride. If you start riding five feet in front of you, you're going to crash. But if you're, if you're looking to the horizon at the larger goal, you're going to have a much more better experience. And, and I think that that's always been the piece of advice because I know for me when I'm in my head and I'm not, when I'm worried about the first five to six feet in front of me and nothing else, that's generally when I run into trouble. <laughs> yep. Well, I can't make U-turns with a damn. <laughs> so you're looking too close to the front wheel? Yeah, I'm worried about the, the elephant that might have been there. But, you know, he wasn't there three seconds ago when I passed it. But he could be there. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Cool. Well, that wraps it up. Well, um, I do appreciate it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. Do you have any final parting words? Just um, never forget the impact you can have on another human being. I love that. There's no such thing as a small act of kindness. You know, you could you could hold the door open for somebody that's having the shittiest day in the world, and that might be a big thing to them. You know, it, it doesn't practice small acts of kindness, and you'll realize that you've made a larger impact in this world. Than you think. And can I add to that? There's a sure. there's a very greedy side to doing that as well. What I mean by that is. If I hold the door open for you and you, I, we've never met, right? I open the door for you. You come walking in. You say thank you. I, I get a good feeling out of that, right? Yeah. So that when you do those random acts of kindness, it pays both of you. So do it for yourself. It makes you a better person. You're happy when you do it and you've made the day of somebody you probably haven't met. Fair enough? Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, and everything that you give out into this world in, in a positive light, well, I would argue in a negative light too, but you'll get back more than you give and you have to be aware of that. I think it's, it's very, yeah, just, just give, give back, you know, do, do whatever it takes to make somebody's day just a little better. Very good. Where can we follow you? I mentioned you're Bri the Biker on all the socials. So tell us where that is. Yeah. So I'm Bri the Biker on YouTube. Um, <laughs> my content schedule is whenever the hell I feel like posting right now. <laughs> um, we generally do a, a live stream Wednesday at eight o'clock Eastern standard. And then I'm also on Instagram at Bri the biker. And that's usually where you see a little bit more of my uh, behind the scenes stuff or things that have come in that I'm reviewing or, you know, just random silliness. Uh, occasionally some pictures of my cats. But uh, yeah, those are the two platforms I use. I never was big into the other platforms that played with tiktok but it's not my thing so yeah youtube and uh, instagram are really my place and i would say that if if you're struggling and you want to have a conversation just send me an i am on on instagram i'll get back to you and you know if i can be of any help whether it's in the motorcycle genre or in your personal life just reach out very cool folks if you like what you're hearing hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode you can follow all the adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. Of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. And of course, thank you very much again, Brian, for coming on the show. Thank you, Craig.